Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fuglesang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fuglesang. Welcome to it. 866-997-4748. That is how you join the Love Fest. That is Tell Me Everything. A lot of ground to cover. If you didn't get to see me on tour with Stephanie Miller and Hal Sparks in D.C. or the show last weekend in Chicago, the big one will be in Los Angeles, in Beverly Hills at the Saban Theater, the one over there on Wilshire and, uh, and La Cienega. It's a great space. It's going to be a huge show. We'll all be doing sets. We'll be joined by special guests, including Congressman Adam Schiff, who is actually very funny, Rob Reiner, and more surprises to be announced. Man, we have a lot to get to tonight. Again, you know the number. If you're one of our day walkers who listen as a podcast, on the John Fuglesang podcast, or you listen, I don't know, on demand or on the app. Hello. We love to hear from you guys. You're always welcome to write to our Facebook page. We'll read your comments out loud. And if you're listening live, eh, go ahead and join the conversation. Anytime, all night long, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Thea is still away. We are very fortunate and grateful to have Claudia Forster Torres joining us. So when you call, please, gentlemen, be gentlemen, ladies, class up just for the call and treat Claudia with the respect she deserves. We are at 866-997-GRIT. Let me go to Gordon in Illinois. Gordon, thanks for your patience. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You know, uh, Matthew, I'm not Bible literate, but uh, isn't Matthew, is is the book of Matthew where uh, Jesus talks about, you know, you, you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was yes. naked and all of that? Matthew 25, um, Matthew 25, my favorite Bible verse. Isn't that essentially the democratic platform? Yes. I mean, I mean, in, well, in no, it, no, it, it, it's not. But I will say, here's what I say about this. The, I don't think Jesus would belong to either party, but I will say no, the Democrats, no. while well, far from, far from perfect. And again, folks, atheist brothers and uh, sisters, yeah. just saying, just say the character in the book, not saying you have to believe it literally. I will say that the Democrats are light years closer to the teachings of Jesus. Now, you say this to conservative Christian people, and their jaws will drop. Oh. Because how can you support abortion? You support abortion. You're, not, you're against Jesus. And I have to tell them no. for the millionth time that Jesus isn't against abortion. The Bible never forbids abortion. Jesus is a religion of Judaism, never condemns abortion. But it is in Matthew 25 right. where Jesus will gather the individuals and the nations. And the nations... And the nations, not just individuals, and he, he commands them to take care of the sick, take care of the poor, be kind to those in prison, welcome the stranger. That right. is Christian policy. And democratic policy. Um, now, you were talking um, well, about forgiveness. Well, well they, some Democrats talk. It, it's, it, let's say it's their Democrats are, related. I'm not going to say it's, I, I'm not going <laughs> to say the, de- listen, I love the Democrats. I'm not going to say it's Democratic policy. I'll say the Democrats are light years closer to the teachings of Jesus than sure. Republicans. Because let's be honest, some of them talk um, a good game about those things and then vote the way lobbyists mm-hmm. tell them to. There's, you know. Right. Um, I can't say magic of cinema, talking, you know. Well, yeah. yeah. You were talking about forgiveness and I agree with you there that actual forgiveness, I think there's a difference between forgiveness and letting go of anger. Let, you let go of your grudge, but not necessarily forgive. I think that forgiveness requires some measure of contrition on the part of the offending party. Um, I agree. White privilege, I think, there's a lot of white people that don't understand it. It's kind of like 
air. You don't notice it. I mean, how many times in the past week have, have you walked into a room and said, my God, this room is full of air? Yeah, you don't, it's true. Because it's just, it's always there. You don't notice it. It's ubiquitous. It's, it's, you wouldn't notice it unless it wasn't there. Yeah. And I yeah. think that there's exactly. a lot of white people who, not necessarily out of any position of hate or they just. Well, here's what it is. I think a lot of white, a lot of, because, a lot of well-intentioned white people, a lot of well-intentioned white people who don't hate, but they think that because, you know, the Klan's not lynching people anymore, that there's no more racism. You, you try to explain institutionalized racism to people and they don't get it. Right. You know, I have a black friend at work. How could I possibly be racist? Why can't Obama show the birth certificate? So I, I think that in that sense, what I, what I say to people, you know, you, you can say to them, so, so you don't think there's any more racism? They'll say no. And I'll say, well, would you trade places with a black man? And they'll and they'll say right. no because they they'll never catch a cab. And I'm like, well, then you understand institutionalized racism. Chris Rock had it, I think, on right, his third exactly. album. He he said he said there's not a white man in this room who trade places with me, and I'm rich. Right. <laughs> you did also touch on reparations, and uh, you know the the problem with reparations or with I'm sorry with the word reparations is that when you say reparations, what most people hear is checks for black folks. Handout. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And that doesn't work. There is no equitable Except, possible system that, that that would ever make that work and it would never last. Well, what if for it's more not money? What if it's a year? What if it's not money? What if it's not money? What if every African American who can trace their lineage to, to, to enslave people uh, gets a house, gets free college, and gets health care for their entire life and we do this for 400 years, for exactly the amount of time well, African-Americans toiled in slavery and apartheid in this country for the next 400 years, we're going to balance the scales I, and make life substantially easier. I mean, we're, you're n- I, not giving cash handouts out, but you will never have to worry about housing. You will never have to worry about paying health care costs. You will never have to worry about education costs. Boom. And, 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 I and think, that's a start. I think that's a step in the right direction. I think the easier way to do that is to say, OK, the most lasting uh, legacy of slavery is the cycle of poverty yes. caused by the institutional racism. Um, We're still and dealing with it everywhere. Yeah. If Absolutely. And I think if you went and took and said, okay, let's take, say, the worst hundred school districts in the country, which likely are largely minority. Um, okay. If if you take the worst hundred school districts in the country and you say, okay, we're going to fix these hundred school districts and we're going to bring them up to the level of, say, New Trier on the north side of Chicago, which is one of the best high schools in the country. Mm-hmm. You then educate a generation and you keep doing that every year. You take the worst hundred, the worst hundred, the worst hundred, maybe the worst, worst thousand even. And you start bringing that up and creating, disrupting that cycle of poverty, that in itself would be reparations. I mean, the root word of reparations is to repair, right? Yes, yes, I'm with you. I think it's beautiful. I'd like to see it done. And by the way, it should be Christians leading this drive for restitution and justice. I got to run, Gordon, but I thank you for the call. What? I just I just let him go. What? I know. But just to counter Gordon's point, wasn't desegregation of our educational system part of like, isn't wasn't that what that was? And the counter to it was this disgusting system of vouchers and different sending districts that allowed people historically in the north, in the northeast, in the central in the Midwest to avoid desegregation. And and aren't we doing that same thing? Uh, now, with uh, the new idea of creating vouchers and voucher systems to send people to Christian schools to avoid the deadly stain of critical race theory. So, mm-hmm. while I appreciate his point, we have many historical uh, examples of, of how uh, we're not going to do that as a country because we just won't let that go. You're right. Anyway, you're right. So, oh my God, John, how did I end up with a soapbox? I'm sorry. Let me get down here. That's okay. No, I appreciate I appreciate your soapbox. I completely agree. Uh, quick break. When we get back, more of your calls. This is Progress.
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Let me go if I can. Um, let me go to Sheila yeah. in Texas. Hi, Sheila. I love it. Hey, John. Forgiveness. Okay. A lifetime friend of mine since I was like 14. She was probably eight years older. She was older. Than me. Anyway, she was against abortion after she'd had a few abortions. And we lost touch because of that. But we, connect, we, we uh, reconnected a few years later. And I will tell you, last night, and I, I don't know if I can say this without crying, but okay. she was in the path of the hurricane last night. And I cried like a baby, and I prayed so hard, and I'm an atheist, but I prayed mm-hmm. so hard for her that she would be safe, and she's okay, because I love mm-hmm. her, and uh-huh. I am a total fucking atheist, but I picked... <laughs> This this moment because I love her so much that if wow. it would do any good I would pray for her and I did and she's she's I'm not saying she's okay because I prayed for her. I'm just saying that. that I love her so much and I you know um, we were so connected as as young women and um, she got caught up in some weird shit, and, you know, she lost, mm. I don't know. I think she kind of lost her way, but anyway, we we reconnected, and I was so worried about her last night. And also, yes. I want to tell you that if you mix Bruce Banner and Rocky Mountain Tangerine, it makes the greatest fucking cornbread you ever ate in your whole life. If you mix Bruce, hang on, I'm writing this down for 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 mom. Uh, Bruce Banner and Rocky Mountain Tangerine. That sounds like a, an orange Hulk you're making there, but it makes a, sh- a, a bread. Hey man, the cornbread okay. is great. And All right. John Henley grew up thirty miles from me, and Hoodie led better too. So I'm blessed. Well, there you go. There you go. Okay. Love you guys. <laughs> Thank you, Sheila. Love you back. I John, don't even know where to, yeah. Yes, sir. Um, look, I don't mean to sound immodest or boastful, but only here, I feel, will people get, if they listen, a heartfelt, earnest confession about forgiveness and friendship and also an edibles recipe for cornbread. The right kind of blend for your weed. Yeah, I appreciate it's that as well. She went. She actually went from saying, I'm an atheist who prays, and I'm like, that's great. I, I totally get that. I, I think nothing wrong with that. I mean, what is a prayer? You don't have to believe God is an old white man with a big fuck-off beard. To pray. You're putting an intention out to the universe. Prayer is good because it forces you to actually tell someone, even if it's the voice in your head, just to put into words what it is you want. I'm a big believer in prayer. Meditation is when you let God or the universe or whatever talk to you. And prayer is when you talk to whatever, but I, I certainly do appreciate it when she, she brings on a, a great recipe for how to blend your indica dank and your sativa together for cornbread. Yeah, and it also reminds me that, um, uh, listen, uh, dispensaries and pot growers, uh, you need to, guys you need to cool it. There's too many uh, there's too many flavors in the Fruity Pebbles here. Uh, Bruce <laughs> Banner, uh, Moroccan Tangerines, what's happening here? All these names. Not true. There's not too many. There's there, no. It's fine. Have a listen. Unicorn we're trying to, we're trying to save capitalism. We're trying Diego to save capitalism pants. here. Yes, and your Mau, your Maui Wowie, and your Sticky Icky. We're trying to save the free market for God's sakes, and stick it to big pharma. No, I disagree. Have as many different kinds of weird confections as you want. Quick break. We're at eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight, and we'll be right back.
As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is SiriusXM Progress. Richie in L.A. Hey, John. Hey, Chris. And Claudia is doing a great job Isn't on the she? phones. I wanted you played Miko after one of the breaks. I, Miko doesn't need to be forgiven for anything. I didn't even know that was a disco song until you said it. Yes, was. yes, but that's the that was disco. Yes, I mean she. They don't need to be forgiven. Neither does Gloria Gaynor. I just thought I didn't say Gloria Gaynor needs this. to be. No, no, no. Excuse me. Gloria Gaynor does not need to be forgiven. She survived. That, she needs. That's she, what I she, said. She's the one handing out forgiveness. Mako, however, Michael, for the disco theme from Star Wars. No, there's, there's, I, uh, their ears need reparations for that. No, I, no, I didn't. No, it's the, the the disco aspect is much more subtle. It's an I'm overture. Kidding, I know. I know. I well, know. No, well played, jolly good. I was going to. No, the problem with disco is that it was so insidious. It could insert into everything. It was like the high fructose corn syrup of music. <laughs> And eventually, it just got everywhere, and people got got I think sick. You nailed it. Punk rock. I think you was nailed it. A little it. bit different. That was harder to ignore, and it took got more grudging acceptance later. <laughs> I know. Listen, I'm joking. I love. I'm the one who. I'm the one who asked Chris to play Mako's Star Wars theme. I I listened to it right. when I was a kid. It's awesome, and I like disco too. Mm-hmm. I always say disco and punk are the two uh, genres of music that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame doesn't respect enough. So I'm, I'm with you, Richie. Thank you for the call, Rich in Indiana. You've been on hold forever, and I thank you so much for it. Oh, but I've had so much fun listening. Thank you, John. I love your show, man. Yeah. I really do. Oh, thank you. Thank you um, you do the music, and you're you're such a a, a fun. How to say? Well, you 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 have your history with uh, is it what was it VH1 and um, MTV? Do I remember that correctly? Uh, yeah, mainly VH1. I did a couple things for MTV, but mostly I was at VH1 in a brief time when they were they were trying to be like uh, like for MTV graduates. They were trying to be a place, you yeah, know, yeah, for, yeah. for where grownups well, could hear new music and it wound up just being Pootie and the Blowfish being played 4,000 times, but still. Your embrace of music as a part of the show had me thinking that this might be of interest to you, which is um, you. the Dropkick Murphys have a new yes. album that they've put together uh, through the... Um, Daughter of Woody Guthrie, Nora. Nora, who's been on our show. She's been son. on our show. Really? Oh, how cool. Yeah. Well, Nora. Well, she's had an amazing book. She, um, okay. And and this new album that uh, they've uh, supported the Dropkick Murphys doing, and, and Cole is actually playing a dobro on some of the songs. That's right. Comes out tomorrow, right? This, this Machine Still Kills Fascists, which is the... Uh, the the phrase that Woody would hand paint onto the face of his guitar. This machine, this machine kills, kills fascists. fascists. Just painted on and his guitar. The, the, the thing that's so cool about the way Woody was this free. Well, it was it was said <laughs> it was said by one of the the guys that was talking about the project. Woody was the original punker, and um, Woody right. was, he was like standing up for people. And um, standing against the um, the power and the corruption and the harm to folks, um, I got a um, uh, what would you call it a um, documentary that I uh, that I watched. It's called Woody Guthrie Hard Traveling from 1984, and Arlo and a bunch of uh, people who loved uh, Woody uh, all came together to make this one-by-one interview uh, documentary. And there's this statement that Arlo reads, uh, and it's about 150 words. May I read it real quick, please? Really quick, please. All right, all right. Here it goes. I hate a song that makes you think that you're just born to lose, bound to lose, no good nobody songs that run you down and poke fun at you because you've had bad luck or hard traveling. And I'm out to fight these songs to my very last breath of air and my last drop of blood. I'm out to sing songs to you that will prove to you that this is your world no matter what color, what size, or how you're built. I'm out wow. to sing the songs that will make you take pride in yourself and in your work. And the songs that I sing are made up, for the most part, 
all, all sorts of folks that are just about like you, I could hire out to the other side, the big money side, and get several dollars a week just to sing the kinds of songs that knock you down still further and the ones that I make you it. think that you've not got any sense at all. But I decided a long time ago that I would rather starve to death before I would sing any such song as that. Your radio waves, your movies, your jukeboxes are already loaded down and running over with such no good songs as that anyhow. Woody Guthrie. <laughs> I love it. Love it, Rich. Love, you, love man. it. The dropkick that listen, that dropkick Murphy album. I've been looking forward to that. It's called This Machine Still Kills Fascists. It features a duet with Woody, and that's coming out uh in a few minutes. Ooh. Actually, it'll be available. Listen, Rich, tell me that you've heard U two's cover of Woody's uh, Jesus Christ. Have you heard that? No, I have not. Uh, okay, you're a lucky man because I'm, you want to hear the link between Woody Guthrie and punk music and gospel, and U2 does it. They turn into the Pogues <laughs> for one song to cover Jesus Christ, and it's one of the best things U2's ever done. Uh, and also Bob oh, Dylan's uh, poem, uh, Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie, is one of the greatest pieces of poetry ever. Thank you so very much for the call. Quick break. When we come back, Michael Cohen will be on our show. I've met Michael before. I did his podcast about a year ago, and two weeks ago, I, I get a text on my phone like, hey, man, we, we got to hang out. And I'm like, who is this? Who is this person? And, you know, like if you're like me, you're terrible with names. And so I get texts all the time from people saying, hey, man, how you doing? How, how's how's your kid? And I'm like, oh, who is this? What 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 show did I work with you on? And what school did I go with you to before one of us was thrown out? So I just, you know, I write back, oh, I'm doing good. How are you? And you, you, you try to get some more information. I got nothing. Then, then the phone rings, and it's this number, and it's Michael Cohen calling me at home. I don't know how he got my number. And he's like, hey, I really want to come on. I'm like, oh, okay, I got a book coming out. I said, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Well, I really want to come back on your show. I'm like, you never came on in the first place a year ago, Mike, but we'll, we'll, we'll have you. So today, Michael Cohen will be on our show. We'll be right back after this. This is Progress. My next guest is someone we've been trying to get on the show for, for quite a while. He is the former VP of uh, a company known as the Trump Organization. He is the host of the really excellent and often inspiring Maya Culpa podcast, which I've had the great pleasure of appearing on. He is the author of the upcoming book, Revenge. This is Mr. Michael Cohen. Hello, sir. Good to see you. How you doing, John? <laughs> I'm really good. Thank you. I, I have to say, I, I didn't know what to expect when I first did your show. And we wound up having a really terrific conversation about religion and ethics and your, your former employer. And before we dive into the new book and what's going on in the world, I'm curious, how has this experience been for you in the last couple of years transitioning into a very different kind of media figure? Huh, to say anything less than the word horrific is probably an understatement. You know, never in my life did I ever think that I was going to have legal trouble. I mean, I'm a guy who has one speeding ticket my entire life, 1985. And I remember exactly when it was. It was in uh, the end of August. I was returning to school and I was driving and I was going about 12 miles an hour through New Jersey to Washington when I got pulled over. I've never had a parking ticket. And it's something I talk about in this upcoming book, Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics. The entire process is so horrific. And the pain that it causes to your family, the pain I put my wife and my daughter and my son through, my entire family, it's, it's soul-wrenching, to say the least. It's a popularity. Like when I walk on the streets and people want to come over and shake your hand and thank you for telling the truth and helping to try to make sense out of this Mandarin Mussolini, former president of ours. I'd rather that they don't know me. I'd rather have had my old life back. Sometimes fame is not great. Of course. Well, you began writing this book, I know, during your time in incarceration. I wanted to ask you, what did you learn about yourself during that process? And going through all these recollections, was there anything that surprised you to cover again? Well, remember that I have two books. The first book, which was called Disloyal, yes. was the number one New York Times bestseller. That's the book that I wrote while I was incarcerated in Otisville. While yeah. at home, 
on home confinement, that's when I sat down and I started putting, you know, pen to paper for the book Revenge that is coming out on October 11th. The process was very, very difficult. And it was difficult because I don't want the book to be perceived as me bitching and complaining about, oh, what was me? Look what happened to me. And there's a credibility issue that Donald and the Republican Party created that benefits them. If we're able to discredit the individual, therefore, whatever is said in advance of him saying it, especially if it's true and negative towards Trump, it's already discounted because that's what Donald does. Whether it's the little Marco, the low energy Jeb, the lion Ted, the crooked Hillary, this is what he does. And it's part of the strategy. So I needed the help of an individual who would be able to speak to FBI agents, current and former, be able to speak to judges and prosecutors and former prosecutors and lawyers and accountants and everybody in between. And so I was fortunate. I was on the telephone doing an interview with a guy by the name of Brian Karam, and he's a journalist. He I know him. Playboy and yeah. Salon. It's a great guy. And I yeah. was saying to him, hey, would you like to help me? Would you like to be a part of this next book that I'm doing? And there's an entire acknowledgement page of him in the book because he was fantastic. Um, believe me, we went through our trials and tribulations, he's but he's a great guy. We both have very similar sense of humor as well. And he was successful in reaching out to individuals like Alan Dershowitz. He was successful in reaching out to Judge Jed Rakoff, the esteemed judge here in the Southern District of New York, wrote a book himself on the problems in the, mm-hmm. in the we'll call it the judicial system, spoke to former and current FBI agents, lawyers, everybody. And with his help, we ended up finishing the book. And interestingly enough, the book is very prescient because it's exactly what's going on right now. And being corroborated by other books like Jeffrey Berman's book or even Maggie Haberman's book. It's inc- right. it's incredible. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things I also said to Brian at it, the it, inception is I do not want at the end this book to be about, again, me complaining about what happened to me in the stages of my life. I want people to understand, and that's the sole purpose of this book, what happens when you have a individual like Donald Trump, just a low life like Donald Trump in the Oval Office who wants to be not president, but a dictator, a monarch, a ruler, the supreme leader, et cetera, and weaponizes the Justice Department using a willing and complicit attorney general to step all over the Constitution and violate people's First Amendment constitutional rights like what they did to me. Because at the end of the day, the goal of this book is to explain to your listeners what happened to me can happen to you. Well, to that end, we're talking a lot lately about the F word, fascism, and whether Trump meets the profile. I think he does, but I acknowledge he does not tick off all the boxes on a fascism checklist. Michael, you are the child of a Holocaust survivor. You say in the book, we must recognize that Trumpism is fascism. What was it that made you arrive at that conclusion? Well, in fact, funny that you say that, John, because that's the final line of my book. We must recognize that Trumpism is fascism. We must destroy it and erase it from our body politic. That's the last line of the book. What made me see it? I think it's crystal clear. I don't think that one has to travel too far past their nose to understand what Trump was doing with his acolytes, what they continue to do, despite the fact that he's not even the president of the United States anymore, though he wants to pretend he is and he gets people to call Mm -hmm. him Mr. President. That's exactly what he's doing. He is a fascist. He's an authoritarian. 
And again, as I constantly say, whether it's on programs like yours, John, or whether it's on television and the media, the man never wanted to be president. In fact, the entire campaign was supposed to be nothing more than the greatest infomercial in the history of U.S. politics. When he won, he tasted power. And remember, America is the greatest power in the world. He now absorbed that like energy from the sun and decided he doesn't want to be president. Something our founding fathers were always concerned about. What would happen if the president wanted to be more than the president? And that's why you have the checks and balances, despite the fact that Trump tried to avoid that as well. Well, let me ask you about lawyers then, because you have a great part in the book where you discuss Trump referred to me after my home and business were raided as one of his lawyers. I know I was fucked when I heard that. And um, one of his new lawyers only came on board recently after receiving a payment of three million dollars up front because he famously doesn't pay them. I have a theory, though, that any lawyer for Trump at this point is set. It's all just billable hours and all they're doing is hitting snooze alarms. I don't see how any of these lawyers can affect the outcome of these investigations, only delay the outcome. I don't see it getting better for Trump. Do you? No. In fact, I think you just really nailed it right on the head. One of the things that I've explained, whether it was to the House Oversight Committee, the House Permanent Select Committee, Senate Permanent Select Committee, the House Judiciary, or any of the law enforcement agencies that I spoke to. Whatever it is that you think that you're going to do and accomplish in terms of holding Donald Trump accountable for his dirty deeds, make sure that you put it on the calendar and make sure that you put the end date (laughs) somewhere in the future because that's the game plan. That's the the playbook that Donald Trump runs by delay, 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 and do everything that you can within which to delay it. Because for Trump, the way he looks at time is very different than almost anybody I've ever met. He sees 24 hours as eternity. So if you see 24 hours as eternity, imagine what a year is. Imagine what three years is, and three years is how long that it's taken Tish James, our New York State Attorney General, to finally, finally file a lawsuit against Donald, Don Jr., Ivanka, Eric, the Trump Organization, and others for falsifying these documents, overstating his net worth Mm -hmm. and undervaluing the assets for purposes of tax benefits. Exactly. Well, Michael, I've said for a long time that I don't think this thing is over until Trump and Giuliani turn on each other. Do you see any timetable for when that might happen in our future? Do you think it's inevitable those two (laughs) will turn on each other? I think it's inevitable. I think Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, has no choice. His ass is backed up into a wall, and there is not a damn thing that he can do about it at this time. He knows just by seeing what happened to me, that Donald has no loyalty to anyone or anything other than himself. And that Donald will use everything that Rudy did for him and make the allegations that I had nothing to do with it. It's all Rudy. Don't ask me. Ask Rudy. Very much like what he did when they asked him about the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels while he was on the airplane. Oh, ask Michael Cohen. He's my lawyer. Yeah, because at that exact moment in time, that exact moment, it was in Donald's benefit to call me his lawyer. Next thing after Mm -hmm. the raid, they're sitting down. Somebody asks him, one of the journalists asks him, hey, did you see what happened to your lawyer? Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's disgusting what the FBI did. They raided one of my lawyers. Now, all of a sudden, I just became one of his lawyers. That was for me. Yeah. The kick in the ass and said, This son of a bitch is going to throw you under the bus. So Rudy, who now has an enormous amount of pressure, not just from, oh, God, the Dominion lawsuit, not just for a half a dozen other things he did for Trump, but also now as part of a divorce to his wife, Judy, where he has to come up with about a quarter of a million dollars. 200 grand by next week. Yeah. Yeah, Otherwise, he's um, going to the pokey. 
You didn't even mention the attorney general down in Georgia as well. Michael, you worked a lot with Alan Weisselberg over the years. After the Tish James lawsuit, is there a chance Weisselberg would flip? What would conceivably get him to flip on this family he has worked for since long before Trump took over? So the case that's pending against Weisselberg is the case with the New York District Attorney's Office started by Cyrus Vance Jr. and now inherited by Alvin Bragg. I just want to sort of set it up into scenes. And Alan, following the Trump playbook, something that I helped to create, delay, delay, delay. Well, (laughs) when you delay something, there is an eventual date that reality sets in. And he wasn't going to work with any of them. He's not answering any questions. He's not doing anything. He's staying loyal to his employer for over 45 years, that being Donald and the Trump organization. Now, all of a sudden, it's the day of reckoning. He's going for trial. And now he brings in the lawyers and they sit down with the district attorney's office and they come up with a deal. And the deal is he's going to get five months in Rikers if, in fact, that he provides testimony regarding the other case that Cy Vance started and inherited by Alvin Bragg, and that was the criminal case against the Trump organization. Now, fast forward, that's coming up in October, that case. I think it's the end of October. If, in fact, Alan Weisselberg elects not to answer every question presented honestly and truthfully, he's looking at up to 15 years of incarceration. Now, he's 75 years old. Chances Mm -hmm. are he doesn't want to spend and die in Rikers Island versus cooperate and get five months, which amounts to 100 days after good time and so on. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to go for the 100 days. Now, he's been very vocal in saying, I will not testify against Donald Trump. I would like to see how it's possible that you testify against the Trump organization, right, an inanimate object, it's an LLC, that does not somehow implicate, not somehow, definitively implicate Donald in all of the illegalities of his eponymous company. It is absolutely impossible to distinguish, to separate these two, meaning Donald from his eponymous company, because in fact, they are one in the same. Of course, of course. Uh, Michael, when was the last time you had any contact with a member of the Trump family? Well, Donald called me right after the raid to see that I was all right. Okay. Yeah. Now, you may also remember that there were a slew of text messages that I released way further down by a lawyer named Bob Costello, who's representing Rudy Colludi, and making statements about he wanted to be on my team. That's when I was going through the criminal case. And the purpose for him was really not to represent me. He doesn't care about me. It was his contact to Rudy which, of course, was Rudy's contact then to Donald, and then making statements like, just spoke to Washington, to the big guy. You are loved. Know that you have friends in high places. Stay the course. You know, don't provide information. Don't testify. Don't do this. Don't do that. And that's when I realized that I'm being absolutely set up by this guy, too, would not allow him to become part of the team and... Thankfully, at least I made one right decision. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Like loyalty is a very nice word, but loyalty is a thing that goes both ways. Consistently with Trump, it's all about obedience. I want to ask you another question about. uh, We always uh, said at the Trump organization that Donald is like First Avenue one way. (laughs) And if you can't accept that, then you have no business being at the Trump organization because you're right. It really is about strict obedience. I mean, and yet he's also a big product of the New York real estate world. And and I'm curious if you were as surprised as many of us were that the Mueller investigation didn't go into following the money, particularly with New York real estate to launder Russian money. I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. Is there anything else to the Trump's business beyond that? And and how much are we going to learn about money laundering via New York real estate before this is all over? Yeah. So let me say this. I think 
that statement came from Eric Trump about we have a lot of Russians and they, you know, support our product and so on. Now, this is something that I have, again, stated on a regular basis. Eric Trump is an idiot. I mean, of the three, he's by far hands down the dumbest of them all. Why he made that statement, I don't know. Are there Russians that live in Trump buildings? Yes. By the way, there's also Spaniards. There's also mm-hmm. Mexicans. There's also Israelis and Germans. Okay. And it, it's the Saudis that live at Trump World Tower. I mean, for God's sakes, there's Kuwaitis. It's such a stupid statement. I am not familiar, and I don't believe it to be true either, that his businesses were bailed out by Russian oligarchs or Putin and so on. That's one of the problems that I address also in revenge. The media gets a hold. And this one is not, I cannot blame this necessarily on the media because the mm-hmm. comment came from the moron Eric. Yeah, Junior they, as well said they, something similar. They blew it up into something that it's just not. And I don't think the issue that you're going to see is this money laundering where he dipped into the cash were cash businesses that he owned or operated like the Woolman rinks, the Alaska rink, the central park, you know, carousel, the golf courses that people would pay in cash or other things like that. That I think is something that also is being looked at right now by both the DA as well as the attorney general. But this, sort of global Russian money bailing him out. I don't believe that to be true, nor do I believe that that's the thing that brings him down. The Deutsche Bank whistleblowers claiming that Putin paid for $2 billion of his Deutsche Bank debt. I mean, is that something that should be discarded or is that something that should be investigated? Well, I think uh, numbers like that obviously should be investigated, looked at, and I think it needs to be looked at with a fine-tooth comb to see whether or not, in fact, that's true. I don't know what this whistleblower is referring to. I don't believe it to be accurate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't believe. First of all, I don't think Trump at the present moment has $2 billion with Deutsche Bank as debt. Uh, They're going to talk about Donald's entire, you know, 50 years as a real estate developer, the $2 billion in total. Absolutely. Here's the problem, though. If you go back, 50 years when he first came to New York, Putin, I think, was still in high school or college. And he didn't rise into power for many, many years thereafter. You know, right. This is mainly the Um, last 20. I mean, Trump famously sold himself as the king of debt when I was growing up my whole life. And then it's only in the 20th century that it became a cash business when he began spending so much you know, money in cash. So, I mean, obviously, Deutsche Bank became the only bank that would lend him money after American banks refused. Well, don't forget, in the 1990s, he was really on the balls of his ass, and there was no mm-hmm. way for him to pay this off. And so true. they struck a deal. The one person who was, I believe, at Citigroup that was very helpful to Donald turns out to be Rosemary Vrablick, who is a Deutsche Bank employee. He then gave her money to open up, and that's where the relationship existed. Deutsche is, by the way, not the only one that loaned him money. Uh, There was also Ladder Capital. And Ladder Capital, one of the members there is Jack Weisselberg. And if that name sounds familiar, it should. Mm -hmm. He is the son of Alan Weisselberg. One of the things that I know that they have looked at are the documents that Trump submitted for the loans. And I think it's like 300 some odd million dollars. They're looking at to see whether or not that the information that was provided was accurate, misleading, or something in between. Of course. I know, Michael, that a lot of people are asking you questions every appearance you give about the search at Mar-a-Lago, but I wanted to ask you if you have any theories on who you think might have been the source to provide all the information to the feds. Might it have been an inner circle member or might it have been a Secret Service member on site? So I would venture to say, and I have, that I believe it was Jared. Now, again, this is my theory. If you have a safe in your house, who knows that you have a safe in your house? Well, certainly your immediate family. It's not like you're walking around with a T-shirt 
that says, I have a safe in my house, right? I mean, that would just be idiotic. And despite how idiotic they are as a family, they still wouldn't do that. So it has to be somebody within the super, we'll call it circle of trust. And that would be Don, Ivanka, Mm -hmm. right? Eric, and by and through marriage, not to mention he was a senior advisor, also known as the secretary of everything, it would be Jared Kushner. Now, the least just, financially beholden. We need to we need to couple, right? But we need to couple one additional thing. As I said, Jared was known as the secretary of everything. He had his hands in everything from the Middle East all the way to pardons that there's always something for Gazy whenever Jared was around. I agree. So, somehow or another, he ends up getting two plus billion dollars from the Saudi Investment Authority uh-huh. based upon what? It's certainly not his good looks. It's certainly not his intelligence. The guy is responsible for legitimately the worst real estate deal in the history of New York. That's 666 <laughs> Fifth Avenue that had to be bailed out by somebody. Otherwise, his family would have gone broke, which is hard mm-hmm. to believe. And this guy gets over $2 billion to run a fund, which he's not competent to do. And that's not my words, by the way. That's the Saudi Investment Authority Finance Board until Mohammed bin Salman said, I don't care. Give him the money. He's the only one that doesn't seem to be in trouble. He's the only one that somehow is quiet. Nobody's talking about him. How? Mm -hmm. Why? You know who's talking about him, John? You and me. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's well this yeah, guy yeah and, and I, 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 away. I think he and ivanka leak a lot of positive things about how they were voices of reason to the press all the time anytime i read a blurb about that i always assume it came directly from then i saw jared on tv last week talking about the humane treatment of migrants which i didn't hear too much when they were having their children stolen or forced hysterectomies imposed on them so yeah he's come a long way michael i'll say that much for him uh, uh, uh thank uh, god for the two of them yeah Ken and barbie stupid well, what's going to happen? I mean, like when you look at what Jared's conceivably on the hook for, I mean, you know, his PPP supply and the black market hustle, the the side deals he was brokering without the State Department, his obvious role in covering up the murder of Khashoggi. I mean, do you think that Jared is luring up and terrified of what may lay down the road for him? Or is he clear? So I believe that Jared has. In fact, I know that Jared has lawyers, but I don't think he's as nervous as he should be. And that's why I believe that he's a cooperating witness and has been for a very long time. In fact, to me, it reminds me very much of you know the movie about Whitey Bulger before they ended up sending him away. He was yeah. a cooperating witness. The guy was doing all sorts of illegal things, including shooting people. And because he was a government witness and an important one, they just let it slide. Mm hmm. Well, let me ask you, Michael, I, and thank you for the generosity of your time, because there's I could talk to you for hours. There's so much I want to go into, and you cover a lot of ground in the book. <laughs> thank you. One could reasonably assume that you've got plenty of information that you have not yet shared with the masses that could be keeping this family in check. I, I would assume that you have your own insurance policies out there, as you rightly should, but it makes me feel I like you've got a lot of... you'd be wrong, John. Really? You would be wrong, I swear. I hate to... I hate to disagree with you. It's your show. You're the host. But it's absolutely inaccurate. There is nothing that went on in my life over that decade plus of working for Trump that the U.S. government either did not have the documents on or I provided information, additional information, background, uh, who was working on what, where and when. There is nothing that... I have not provided to the U.S. government so far. And remember, I've done over 400 hours of testimony to these seven, eight, nine different law enforcement agencies. Right. Did you ever pay for or help arrange any abortions for any members of the family if they got a woman into trouble? No. How do you think it ends? I don't think that Trump ever sees the inside of a jail, but what do you think is more likely that he ultimately faces incarceration, that he spends the rest of his life shoveling money to defense attorneys or that he flees the country? And if he does, where would they go? Yeah. So there's one additional alternative there. I believe that Donald will be indicted and I've been yelling for law enforcement and for the 
Department of Justice, stop trying to hold him accountable for everything, for every illegal action that he has done. We know that he did it just like Al Capone. Stop the bullshit. It's enough. What you need to do, hold him accountable for the low-hanging fruit, the tax evasion. Put him away for tax evasion. Now, I'm going to also agree with you, though, on I don't believe that Trump will ever see the inside of a prison. And the reason for that is not because he's not guilty of the allegations that are raised. It's because it is extremely, if not absolutely impossible, to put a former president behind bars in the fact that he has been briefed over a four-year period of national security information and things that are top secret. I promise you that would open up all sorts of problems with people who are on the inside. We'll call them inmates, right? Though mm-hmm. now you have to call them incarcerated people. Man, everybody's <laughs> got a new title. So Incarcerated you know, Americans, we, sir. Incarcerated, incarcerated Americans. <laughs> yes, something like that. And then what yes. would happen is Trump would end up selling those secrets for like a bag of tuna or a box of Oreos. And we cannot have that because it would put us all in jeopardy. What I believe they will do is they will take one of the properties that he owns, it's a house, across the street from Mar-a-Lago or someplace else, and that would become his home confinement for X number of years. And they would treat him as if he was incarcerated, meaning Mm -hmm. he would not have access to unmonitored phone calls or he would have, you know, internet. They would shut that off the same way that it would be wherever he would end up having, you know, gone for federal correctional. Michael Cohen's new book is called Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the Department of Justice against his critics. It is coming October 11th. It is available for pre-order. It is, of course, a fascinating read from a guy who's had a very fascinating life and continues. And Michael, it's it's a pleasure. Again, I had a great time doing your show. I've been looking forward to this. I'd love to have you back uh, after the release to go even deeper on the book because I barely scratched the surface. But I'd love to have you back and talk about prison reform sometime, too. I really appreciate how you've taken that issue on. And uh, I'd love to go deep on it with you. Best of luck yeah, on the book. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I will definitely come back. Right on. Be well, Michael. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all you're doing? Okay. So there's a couple of different ways. One, obviously by Twitter at Michael Cohen 212. They could also, I do these new TikTok things called Michael Cohen Reacts. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also on Instagram. So, you know, any which way, uh, a lot of the content gets recirculated throughout the uh, various different platforms. But this book is really a whopper. I'm telling you, it's the first book, Disloyal, was really more personal. Yeah. This one is really about what happens with an authoritarian and using myself as the example. It's just right. it's the kind that when you finish reading the book, you say, really? Wow, I'm exhausted. I can't wait to have you back to talk about that because it is important as we watch Donald Trump over the next few months to stop and smell the train wreck. Uh, Come back and let's talk about how he's probably not really running for president. This is all a scam. Michael Cohen, what a pleasure. Be well. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you. 